Hello and welcome to the Moonshots Podcast. It's Wednesday, February 7, 2018, and it is a fantastic episode 20. I'm your co-host, Mike Parsons, and I'm joined by the man himself all the way from Colorado, Mr. Chad Owen. The number two zero, Mike. Who'd have thought we'd made it to, to 20? I know. What does that make it? Is that like six months and 20 episodes or so? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, we just got through planning about another six months. <laughs> I know, we're, we're gluttons for punishment. We we kind of have this crazy roadmap of shows and, you know, it's like ideas just keep coming. We had to sort of get back to the show a little bit, didn't we? Yeah, well, it's it's just amazing to me how we keep uncovering more and more innovators, you know, not just in Silicon Valley, but in all different professions and industries and even eras. Yeah, and, and it's almost just a lesson in reminding us of how much you can gain by just simply like looking around uh, yourself, looking around the world and discovering that people are actually giving you all the clues for success, whether they be in Silicon Valley or abroad. And I, I just, every single episode, I feel like I've walked away with tons and tons of learnings and it's a really good reminder to keep you on track. And I, I feel like we might get some of that magic in today's show. Yeah. So we're going to close this triptych of designers with one that we can't ignore. And we even kind of bled into our last episode in talking about Dieter, the kind of, I don't know if it's kind of just a natural, you know, offspring of 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 Dieter's philosophy, <laughs> um, but we're picking right up with Johnny Ive from Apple, and I think uh, the clips that we've got on this show really help us understand, you know, what's going on underneath the hood uh, at Apple, which is you know one one of today's hottest uh, and the largest company. Mm, it's it's quite ridiculous. Any marketing uh, survey or rankings will always put Apple as the number one powerhouse brand in the universe. And then if you go over to our friends, uh, you move away from Madison Avenue and head down to Wall Street, you will also find that it is the largest company on the planet. And Chad, any thoughts on what ties those two together? What makes them this brand and business powerhouse? It's kind of a rhetorical question given the <laughs> the, the theme, uh, but I would I would have to argue design, exactly, uh, and and their their culture of design, their philosophy of design, and it, it started with Steve Jobs, and I think Johnny and others have called you know that duo of of Steve and Johnny is kind of you know spiritual brothers, so to speak. Right. Um, I think their connection was very fast and very deep when he joined Apple in, in the nineties. Yeah, and together, how prolific did uh, Steve Jobs and Johnny Ive become? Uh, if you just look at the list, it it's all size, all spectrums of consumer electronics and personal computer, wearables. I mean, the iPhone, the iPad, the Apple Watch, the iPod, the MacBook. Um, it just is, it's just a home run after a home run. It's unprecedented that a company could succeed with the iPod, then the iPhone, then the iPad, and who knows what will be next, right? Yeah. Well, here's a, here's a great intro clip giving us a little bit of background on Jiny, both before and, and kind of at his beginnings at Apple. Apple's Johnny Ive has just been promoted to Chief Design Officer at the company. Here's how the mastermind behind the iPod and iPhone rose to become the most famous designer on the planet. Graduating with a first-class degree, Ive's first big career step was helping found Tangerine, a London-based design company. Designing everything from power tools to toothbrushes, Ive also worked with client Apple, doing some early designs for what would become the PowerBook in 1991. I've joined Apple in 1992, where he worked on the second version of the Newton, the MessagePad 110. Apple in the mid-90s was a far cry from the Apple of today, however, losing cash and lacking focus in its product lineup. Ive was planning on quitting, but the return of co-founder Steve Jobs in 1996 changed everything. 
With the iMac G3, Apple swept aside years of dull, samey computers, and Ive's work with jobs on this landmark device thrust him to the forefront of Apple. Ive would achieve broader recognition for his contribution to the iPod in 2001, which Ive insisted should have a pure white colour scheme, from the charging cable to the earbuds. Over the next decade, Ive would level his legendary attention to detail at many Apple hits, including the iPhone, iPad, and plenty of Macs. Following the death of Steve Jobs, in 2012 Ive took another major step at Apple, taking charge of software design as well as hardware. The following year, Apple's mobile gadgets got a major reworking in the form of iOS 7, a flatter, more colourful look that's since spread to the Mac. Ive's latest creation is the Apple Watch, unveiled in 2014. It remains to be seen whether this wearable gadget can have the same impact as Apple's other products, but what's certain is that Ive has become one of the company's greatest assets, and we're excited to see what he builds next. Yeah, who knows what they'll uh, they'll come up with next. It's, it's interesting to me that the, the, the thing that stood out was the comment about how he was insistent upon the Apple iPod having an all-white design. Mm. Um, is a callback to Dieter Rams where, you know, the, the color shouldn't be a, you know, a feature or an extraneous feature that he's really, you know, focused on the, the form and the function. And I just thought that was really, really neat and interesting. Yeah. And it's, it's definitely a little nod to, to something that they've done many a time, which is if you go back into the day, uh, computers were beige. Okay, and do you remember the revolution that the first iMacs were, where they were this sort of lollipop colours and that took, that won everyone's heart and affections? And that were, didn't they even also remember the little laptops that they had? Uh, I can't. What were they called? Those kind of clam laptops um, with quite rounded, but they were also really colourful, yeah. right? Yeah, the green, blue. I think those were power books, like the G threes, maybe yeah, or G fours. Yeah. I can't remember. The, the idea of just uh, the role of color to, to serve the product, um, to, to really push against the status quo because, you know, every pair of headphones until they did that were black, of course, mm-hmm. uh, or maybe some, you know, completely over-the-top uh, hyper, hyper color like bright pink and bright blue and bright yellow. Um, I, I think that the, the, the thing that strikes me when, when you just go through the journey of Johnny I was just the extent to which most people would have been happy of saying, oh, I did that one product, right? I did the Mac or I did the iPad or the iPhone. But to think one individual has been there the entire journey, right up until the most recent iPhone X. And what's also important to know is that Johnny is no longer just an industrial designer because he is actually responsible not only for the hardware, but he's also responsible for the software and the operating systems that Apple deploy. And I can't, my mind can't even begin to imagine a design role. Of, uh, over, that oversees so many physical products and so many digital products too. I find that mind-boggling. Well, it's fascinating to me too how a company like Apple, this giant behemoth, an $850 billion company as of today, can support and give someone like Johnny Ive the resources for 25 years to oversee all of those those products. And that really just goes to show how core to apple design is mm-hmm. that they could that they could keep someone as you know prolific and brilliant as johnny i for such a long time to hit so many home runs yeah and that's and what you're really leaning into there is culture of course you mm-hmm. know creating conditions that that feel like that they can uh, not only support one great design but multiple continuous efforts and what's so great about the show today is that what you're about to hear in this next clip is literally Johnny in his own words, in his own voice, literally breaking down the massive complexities and variables and how he thinks, how he feels about design, how he accomplishes being the head of design at Apple Inc. So let's have a listen to Johnny in his own words about his true philosophy of design. We're a small design team. 
We've worked together for 20, 25 years. One of the things that we've learned is the importance of listening, because as we all know, the very best ideas can very often come from the quietest voice. Ideas are extremely fragile. Ideas are not predictable in terms of when you'll have them and how many you're going to have. And so over the years, we've really created a team and an environment that I think really increases the probability of good ideas. And when they actually arrive, I think nurtures them. The design studio really is a workshop. We design three-dimensional objects and we make lots and lots of models and prototypes. Designing and making really should be inseparable. For every finished product that you see, tools had to be designed, process had to be created and experimented with. We've worked very hard to create a singular studio that has all of these different facets. The hallmark of the group has been to be inquisitive and ask an awful lot of questions. We have really made it a practice to just have our heads down and work and ignore, in some senses, all the reasons why something shouldn't be possible. Mm. <laughs> There's so many pieces of wisdom in there. Yeah, he's just bombarding us. I, I like the quietest voice. Let's just unpack that one. Um, this just screams at me, ironically screams, uh, that um, it is so important to create a place and an environment where people who are not as chatty as us, for example, have the the space and, and maybe even the safety to share their opinions because these people can often be the most thoughtful and, and insightful. And mm -hmm. it goes directly to what we heard from Ed Catmull, right? You've got to create... Uh, the brain trust. Mm -hmm. This is exactly that same philosophy. So if you're an entrepreneur or an innovator, sometimes you can be really charged up, revved up to, on a mission. But this thoughtfulness is, and this safety and the space for your contributors to come far and abroad from people who might not be the most chatty but might be the most clued in on the best design or the best idea. This is a, such a great learning from, from Johnny Ive. Mm. And I know this doesn't come from this clip directly, but I, I think a, a practice that I have seen at several companies to foster this is to simply, I know it, this sounds stupidly simple, but when you're in a meeting, be sure to check in with every single person in the room, either at the beginning or in the middle or at the end of that meeting to be sure that you've heard from everyone at least once. Because mm -hmm. Mike, I'm sure you've been in a meeting where the hippo or, you know, the highest paid person, uh, you know, always gets the first and last words and just this simple practice of, you know, calling on each individual and being sure that they are heard is exactly when you get that person who has the great idea, but maybe is unsure if they should, should speak it, the safety in the, in the space to be able to share that idea. Uh, so true. And, and another truism, particularly for all of the founder leader types that are listening, uh, the rule I love is always listen first, speak last, and, and just create some space for folks. And, and that space really matters because creativity and design is not a linear process. And Johnny touched on that in his philosophy. It, it's not like A, then B, then C. It's sort of a little bit more messier than that. And it's interpretive and subjective. So you need to have some frameworks that support that openness for all voices to be heard, but you can't assume that it's going to be a linear process. And boy, what I he didn't uh, didn't call it out as hard as we normally do, Chad. But did you hear him say we make a lot of three D objects, a lot of models, a lot of prototypes, and this is music to my ears? Yeah, the making design and making inseparable. I think, again, we, we heard it from Dieter Rams in the last show, and here's Johnny again echoing 
the fact that you need the designers and the making to, to be together in one space. And you also are bringing in the end consumer. You know, he started and ended this clip talking about listening and then asking good questions and being inquisitive, which you know, then goes into the designs, which goes into the prototyping, which then gets feedback. And then that's, of course, you know, this amazing rapid prototyping learning loop that you and I have seen, you know, transform companies. Yeah. It, and it, here's the lesson in this. Here's why it really matters. Building a prototype in the early early part of your entrepreneurial or innovation journey, you're creating a new product the longer you leave it untested through the form of a prototype, the more you're just guessing, you know. And uh, if you want to de-risk the process, literally just challenge yourself. Get, come hell or high water, get that idea in front of customers. Let them touch, feel, click, interact with it and get real genuine feedback. And this will keep you on the straight and narrow. This will be your your real guiding uh, light for for creating great a great product prototype 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 I can, it's music to my ears chad music yeah i think in just from what we've seen be created in these rapid prototyping environments it's not surprising to me how successful apple has been with the launch of all of its products because you just know that every single minute detail has been put in front of a customer observed and when they see that moment of delight in the customer they're like okay yeah. now it's now right. it's ready right and isn't it crazy to think if you sit back and look at all the products that come out of this philosophy and this process what are some of the key thing what what are the characteristics if you had all the apple products from johnny in front of you what words would you think best describe the designs the products themselves what words come to your mind chad when if you just imagine all those iPads, iPods, iPhones, Macs in front of you, what are some of the words that come to, to mind about what ties them all together? I would have to say elegant mm. and intuitive. Mm. Uh, and you, you've teed me up really nicely here. I think another one is simplicity or just right. simple. Um, and we've actually got a clip from Johnny talking about this philosophy of simplicity in the design of Apple's products. I think there is a profound and enduring beauty in simplicity, in clarity, in efficiency. True simplicity is derived from so much more than just the absence of clutter and ornamentation. It's about bringing order to complexity. Bringing mm. order to complexity, huh? Yeah, I, I don't know. What's interesting to me is he, he says it's not just saying no to things, you know, making things simpler just by removing things, but also ordering them, which is kind of a different definition of simplicity. I, I would just think of simplicity as stripping things away. Yeah, well, so it's stripping things away, but it's knowing what to strip away. <laughs> mm. <laughs> you can't you can't go in there with a machete um, and just swing. Um, but but just I want you to appreciate that the variables on hardware alone are just millions of them, and the fact that they manage to to create simplicity, intuitiveness, and elegance across software, across hardware. I mean. They even get it right in the in the stores they build, which happen to be, on a per square foot basis, the highest producing, most productive retail spaces in the universe. They sell more per square foot than Tiffany's does, who have traditionally held held this number one position. So they are somehow using this philosophy. They're able to create this greatest of simplicity, just enough, never too much. I, I think the question we can all ask ourselves when we release a product is just the same as when we're writing which is okay i've got a first draft what can i cut you make a cut reduce your words down then you ask yourself again what can i cut and to just reduce our products and services down to the essential and get rid of all that noise and clutter that we somehow creeps into the product so next time you're launching a product or a service i want our listeners 
just to ask themselves, what can we cut? What's essential? If the customer only had 60 seconds for this product or service, what would be the things they would really use and what wouldn't get a look in? And I think that will help us decode and declutter and get things to their simplest, most elegant form. But that's so hard, isn't it? <laughs> I feel your pain. It's so hard. Easy to say, hard to do, right? Yeah. I. This has really come to the fore for me, especially, and and I've been doing a lot more writing and uh, conjunction, you know, with my my client work. And it's so easy to make, you know, a ten minute piece on something. But how can you distill? I I, I think. In tandem with this word simplicity, I think you got it right as essential. What's essential? And that, you know, this thing is only as complicated or complex as it needs to be to get the job done. That's kind of another thing that Apple has done really well. Clay Christensen has this idea of jobs to be done uh, when it comes to products and services. And he'd come up with this, I think, in the 80s. His example was McDonald's found that they were selling all of these milkshakes in the morning, like between 8 and 10 a.m., and they had no idea why. And so they hired some consultants, of course, to figure it out. And what they found was people needed something easy to take in their car for breakfast, and the easiest thing to get the most calories were milkshakes. So then in response, McDonald's, you know, created all these breakfast items that could be carted in people's cars. But it's just interesting. I, I think Apple takes that idea of what is this thing uh, you know what is its job what is it trying to do and it just does that that thing so well yeah. you know that that's the genius of the simplicity of of the iPod is you know it, i think originally wasn't it like a thousand songs in your pocket yep you got um, it yeah that was the only thing it did was it gave you your entire music library in your pocket yeah, and, and, and it's at the heart of that simplification. It's it's getting to essentials. It's checking in with customers what really matters. And you got it right. It is hard. And this this is not only hard for us, but actually what's really fascinating is that it's not it's not Johnny's not for a moment sitting there saying it's easy either. He's literally he has worries, he has concerns, he has doubts and questions Mm. throughout the whole process and we've got this fantastic clip coming up and it's him talking about what keeps him up at night so let's have a listen to good old johnny ive mistakes that you've made or any things you've learned that are absolutely the kiss of death for the design process (laughs) and dogma um that that sort of sense of um sort of dismissing ideas um, too quickly. I think what's, what, what really does haunt me um, are, are the ideas um, that we've missed. What worries me the most are those things um, that I'm not aware of. Um, I mean, over the last 20, 25 years, we've one of the things I think we, we, we've learned, I mean, one is, is how profoundly important an idea is and how, how fragile an idea can be that then over, over the course of development can become so powerful, so robust, so influential. But at those early stages, how fragile, how easily missed, how, how easy it is to compromise. Um, and that's what worries me. You know, the, 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 those things that perhaps you're just not aware of. Hmm. Not knowing what you don't know. Mm. That, that's, I think that worries all of us. Yeah. And, and just how many possibilities you have when you're developing an iPhone. I mean, you, you, your brain almost, you know, seizes up at just attempting to imagine the possibilities to imagine what you what you don't know but did you notice I, I really loved um, the word it, he used to describe design and creativity was how fragile it is mm, mm. yeah it, it goes back to him talking about creating an environment that increases not only the number of ideas but nurtures those ideas as well and if I had to make a guess I would think that it's 
this inquisitiveness that they have around what's going to delight the customer and their commitment to rapid prototyping is what's going to n- nurture the those ideas t- to become like he said kind of the the overwhelming um you know design philosophy around a particular product right so so you you you're bang on and and what i wanted to follow that up with is asking you when you've got this curiosity and appetite to tell a story to make a film uh about people going for moonshots and, and, and innovators, you have sort of an idea and a curiosity and you can test it out, write it up, script it out, storyboard it. But how do you protect it in its early stages when, as Johnny said, it's so fragile? I mean, what what do you do to protect the integrity of a, a script idea or a film idea? Hmm. I think paradoxically, like you have to let it go, like to not be attached. Uh-huh. Um uh, sorry to get like all Zen Buddhist here on, <laughs> on the you, Moonshots podcast. Can't you, yeah, re- think, you reversed it all up. My brain's spinning. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's detaching from the idea is actually going to give it its own legs and let it succeed. I think it's when you get too detached to these ideas that you can kind of smother or, or crush them. Because as you were saying, you know, we can go into our caves and do our work in isolation, but that's not that's not how we get the best ideas out mm. into the world. Mm. Yeah, and, and what do you do to capture an idea at a really early stage? Like, what's the artifact that you use when you're talking to your team, when you're talking to your clients? Um, how do you give it, some sort of tangibility so that you can then sort of let it go on its course? For me, it starts with just asking the right questions. This idea of inquisitiveness, I, I love um, and listening. You know, that's, it's most of what I am doing really is just, you know, building rapport with people and listening and asking the right questions and signaling to them, you know, t- to go deeper and further by asking the follow-on questions, you know, mm. so, so not leaving it kind of at super superficial questions, right. but really, really understanding why, you know, a- it, kind of like a small child, keep asking why, you know, mm. why do you do what you do? So well, mm. why is that important to you? Mm. And um, that's, it's really most of my process. And then mm. and the easy part is turning on the camera and, uh, and capturing all of that. Yeah. So, so if you think about what you're doing, you're really listening, uh, understanding very, very much in parallel with, with what Johnny's talking about. I think the, the interesting, uh, thing that we can take from him is there are a set of things that we can all do to optimize the output of design. We know it's not a linear process, but we know that we can let everyone be heard. We know that we can be curious. We know that we can prototype. These are all things we can do to improve the odds of a well-designed product. Uh, so it, it brings me to to something I'm being kind of looking forward to here. Uh, I want to uh, go uh, back to back with you on this one, uh, uh, Chad. What is, if you can do it, what is your favorite Johnny Ive Apple product and why? I mean, take us through the thinking. What are the ones that are your faves? Help us understand where that simplicity and elegance really uh, comes to bear. For me, it has to be the MacBook and the MacBook Pro. Um, before the MacBook and MacBook Pro, you know, my idea of a laptop was like a 10 pound black plastic, you know, brick. <laughs> and afterwards, um, you know, I had no idea that a laptop could be both so, I'll, I'll use the word again, elegant and extremely functional. I think the amount of computing power that Apple fits into all of their devices is mind boggling. Mm. Um, and it was really comical when I first got my MacBook Pro, you know, setting it next to my old laptop. And it's just like one was 
from the 1950s and one was from the future. <laughs> like really all I could think about. Well, you know, the, the, I'll tell you a funny anecdote about MacBooks is uh, recently one of my colleagues said to me, oh, hey, uh, we should get you a, a new Mac uh, MacBook. Uh, which one do you want? And the funny thing is my ba- MacBook is almost four years old. And yeah, mine's five. The thought the thought of upgrading had never come into my mind. So it still looks gorgeous, right? It still works great, both from a hard- hardware and software perspective. And it was such a little aha. Uh-huh, I was like, oh, um, oh, I guess it would be neat to have uh, a slightly slimmer one, slightly snappier, faster, but... It was kind of nice and, well, maybe I can just give my laptop to my son. Um, no, that's kind of cool. But there was, there was a time, Chad, where I remember in my career where I was updating my laptops because they would fall apart. They would get mm-hmm. too slow. I was doing that every 18 to 24 months. Do you remember those days? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think I went through three HP laptops in a year and a half. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I was, a, I was a big Dell. What was it? The Dell Inspiron or something like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you would just literally wear them out. They'd look a bit shabby. They'd be slow as as hell. Um, and you were just dying for for for, for a new one. It's so funny how my mind uh, doesn't even go there now. Okay, so you've put the MacBook up there. Just to check in, you're saying MacBook surpasses iPhone and iPad. I just got to check on that. I yeah, I have to go because the the MacBook Pro was my first Apple product that mm-hmm. I ever mm-hmm. bought. Me too. Me too. I've only ever had two. I bought one in two thousand and seven, and then I bought one in twenty twelve. And so you know, over ten years, I've just had these two MacBook Pros, and like. I, in in terms of you know how often I use it and everything like yes I probably use my iPhone more but I am more annoyed with just how prevalent you know we are in using these computers in our pockets and and being in front of screens and whatnot that I kind of I still have to put the MacBook Pro on the pedestal yeah fair enough I'm with you there um, before before I give you mine. Um, I will admit that I am very partial to my my MacBook and and have been. I've I've always been delighted by them. The interesting thing I will say is I am totally with you on the iPhone. I particularly feel that the X afforded me a better battery, uh, some more screen real estate. Um, But I must honestly admit that as nice as all that is, is it a $1,000 phone? I feel like that's pushing it. There's a couple of little usability things that when you're using this as much as I do, you, it can be a little bit um, aggravating. So I'm, I'm going to definitely drop the iPhone down the list, and I'm actually going to run with um, the iPad hmm. because particularly with the introduction of the keyboard covers, um, I find it a delight to travel with. Uh, I do a lot of uh, plane travel, and uh, the fact that with uh, the cloud backing it up, I can seamlessly move from phone to iPad to MacBook and, and around. So I'm going to put uh, the, uh, the iPad up there. I think some honorable mentions, some runners-up, would definitely be the AirPods, which I've had now for, for about half a year. The AirPods are deceivingly good. Sound quality, great, elegant little uh, carry pod. If you don't have a pair and you work out and have an Apple Watch, I, I strongly recommend to the audience to consider the AirPods. The integration is fabulous. I will say that the Apple TV and the Apple Watch are my disappointments on design. I feel like they they could do... Um, they could provide so much more benefit. They could solve so many more problems than they do. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to put the Apple TV and the watch in the more homework for you, Johnny, bucket. Yeah. I, I mean, I think the iPad is is a great choice. The, the iPad is pretty much kicked off the tablet computing revolution. You know, it's yeah, it's totally. been the best selling and probably will <laughs> until the end of time mm-hmm. be the best selling. But I, I think you're right that that slight 
different mode of computing that's, you know, it's not a phone and it's not a laptop is really fascinating. And honestly, that's really all the computing that a large swath of the population needs. You know, they don't need the MacBook Pros like we have, Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. but they need a little bit more than what they could do on their phone. So yeah, I I love that. I wish I had an iPod an iPad. I had mm. the very first iPad and ran it into the ground, um, but haven't uh, haven't picked up any of the newer models. Yeah. The 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 last thought to kind of close this out that I that I'd offer you, Chad, is that I uh, you know it's been actually I've been having this thought a couple of times on this trip um, that I'm uh, currently on in Europe, and when I sit down in the morning and I have my MacBook my iPad and my iPhone, I have my uh, Apple AirPods to listen to my music and my watch. I feel like I am a, I have all the tools I could possibly imagine to, to be productive at work, to keep in contact with friends and family, to measure my sleep. Uh, so I'm doing my sleep tracking, my fitness workout. Like I feel like all I need is a few of these Apple tools and I can go out and, and I, I think about what uh, work you and I create together on the podcast or when we work on projects together. I think about what we, what we produce with these few tools is remarkable. Mm. Yeah, it would be an interesting challenge to see what we could do with just one of them to see how far we could push with just an iPad and a USB mic or, uh, you know, just a phone. That's always been something that's fun for me as a filmmaker. You know, what, what, how far can you go with just an iPad or just a phone? Yeah, I, I, I know there are particular breakpoints. Do you know any breakpoints where you have to move from one to the other? I'm not. I'm not sure. I mean, there have been successful Sundance award-winning films shot on iPhones. So, like, we don't have any excuses. <laughs> yeah, I, I find that um, there are, particularly when I'm designing, and this means I'm getting out Adobe Illustrator uh, or XD, I can do comparable things on the iPad or phone, but I just want to I want to be on the MacBook. Um, and another thing is I love reading on the iPad, not so much of a fan of it on, on the MacBook. Any sort of longer form writing has to be on the iPad or the MacBook. I hate it when I have to do more than one sentence on my phone. I don't know what mm. it is. So do you know the cheat I'm using now is I'm actually using dictation if I'm in a situation where I actually have to uh, answer an email uh, quick smart or something like that. I'll invariably dictate it because I just like the thumb, the thumb typing thing just drives me bonkers. Mm. Apple is certainly the, the, the tools of choice uh, for people like yourself uh, and me who are, you know, kind of in embedded in this fast moving, rapid prototyping design world. Yeah, that, it really is, and it's definitely a de facto standard. It would be very hard to deposition uh, Apple out of that um, because of the, the, the attention to design across hardware and software. But, you know, we've, we've learned so much from Johnny already. I think it's, it's kind of relieving to know that he still does worry about some stuff and he is not some magical oracle, <laughs> you know, in, in, in the ivory tower, right? Yeah. Yeah. And an, an interesting question that he was posed um, from one of the interviews that we listened to, uh, of course, everyone nowadays uh, are getting questions like this, but he had an interesting perspective um, when he was asked about kind of the role of artificial intelligence in design. So here's Johnny answering that token question about how artificial intelligence will impact design. Do you see a future where an AI-enabled robot could go forth and design the iPhone 10? <laughs> I, I, I think there are aspects of what um, we're, we're doing in terms of sort of advanced modeling um, where absolutely there is a role. Um, but some of the, I mean, you, you know how, uh, actually we were talking about this yesterday, how we understand a problem even right at the very beginning, how you understand a problem, how you frame the problem, is a critical part of the design process, and it's a very creative part of the design process. So, um, and, and I think that's when you understand potential opportunities, um, 
But so, so no, I, I, I think there are, um, and always will be, a, a very important role for, uh, for us uh, and, and the sorts of questions that we would ask that are um, perhaps not obvious. Yeah, I, I, I like this idea that you can train computers to do a bunch of stuff, but to ask questions that are not obvious, to perhaps come at things from a different point of view, touches a little bit on where I think uh, Johnny sees creativity coming from. How did you How did you think about? It? I mean, you're you're a storyteller, Chad. This is, you know, can 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 AI create a better story, a better movie than you? I mean, there is music being created now by DeepMind. I mean, where does this start? Where does this end? When you hear him say this, like, where does your mind go? I I don't have anything to to add, really. His insight into it's how we frame these design challenges and problems, mm. like that's where the human ingenuity mm. shines. I think it's absolutely true. Um, I think as we're in you know, all of this kind of fear mongering about AI stealing jobs, uh, I think it's, it's, it's an unreality. Like it's not going to happen because this abundance of, you know, artificial intelligence work and labor mm. will be executing on these ideas that the humans are creating. So we will just go from being, being kind of the idea originators and the hands that make the things to just being the idea generators. (laughs) And then, and then the AI and the robots can, can make the things. And so I, I, I very much am a kind of a kindred spirit with Johnny in that, you know, the human ingenuity at the beginning of, of, of the design phase is is going to con- continue yeah yeah i i think um the irrefutable fact is that without a doubt we are moving into an era where creativity ideas and design are worth even more because they're often the things that help uh distinguish and we we heard you know, uh, in our previous design shows that design is a differentiator and Mm. you have no better business case than Apple and what Johnny does every day. If you want to know how to build the biggest brand, the biggest company in the world, kind of starts with design. But the design ethos and philosophy of the company and the amazing thing it does Johnny has been so humble in recognizing that it wasn't just him alone. He has a team of designers in a studio but he also got the remarkable opportunity uh, to work with and for uh, Steve Jobs. And uh, we have a clip coming up which really gives us insight into the relationship between them, how the, how the advice from Steve came to, to Johnny. And I think this is remarkable. This clip that we're about to hear is an insight, a look behind the curtain on how Steve Jobs and Johnny Ive work together. So here, let's have a listen to what uh, good old Johnny Ive learned from Steve Jobs. Um, and it's a struggle to practice, but is, is this issue of focus? Um, Steve was the most re- remarkably focused person I've ever met in my life. And, um, and the thing with focus is it's not sort of like this thing you aspire to or you, dis- you decide on Monday, you know what, I'm going to be focused. <laughs> <laughs> it is a every minute, a why are we talking about this? This is what we're working on. You can achieve so much when you truly focus. And one of the things that Steve would say, um, because I think he was concerned that I wasn't, <laughs> um, he would say, um, how many things have you said no to? And I would, honestly, I, I would have these sacrificial things because, I, I mean, I wanted to be very honest about it. And so I say, oh, I said no to this and no to that. And, um, he, but he, he knew that I wasn't vaguely interested in doing those things anyway. Um, so there was no real sacrifice. What, what focus means is saying no to something that you, with every bone in your body, you think is a phenomenal idea and you wake up thinking about it, but you say no to it because you're focusing on something else. And then the third one is, is, is an interesting one, which is, um, actually reflects a little bit poorly on myself. <laughs> 
Um, but I, I remember having a conversation um, with him and was asking why um, it could have been perceived that in his critique of a piece of work, he was a little harsh. <laughs> and, um, and, and um, you know, we'd been working on this, we'd put our heart and soul into this. Um, and um, I was saying, you know, couldn't we be a little bit more, could we not moderate the things we said a <laughs> um, little bit? And, um, and he said, well, why? And I said, well, you know, because I care about the team and, I, you know, care about... Um, and, and he said this brutally, brilliantly insightful thing, which he said was, no, Johnny, you're just really vain. Oh, um, and he said, no, you just want people to like you. And I'm surprised at you because I thought you really held the work up as the most important, not how you believed that you were perceived by other people. And I was terribly cross um, because I knew he was right. Hmm. There's... Yeah, there's two really amazing parts to this story. To have been a fly on the wall uh, in that conversation with Johnny and Steve. <laughs> oh my, can you imagine? Oh, yeah. oh, getting getting throttled on on the on focus, and then like, no, you're just soft on the work because you want to be like, oh my gosh, boom. Two really important pieces of of insight. I I think for entrepreneurs, though, I identify with both of these um it's easy for us to say no th to things that we don't want to do mm -hmm. um and as johnny said that doesn't matter what steve helped show him was you know mike you and i now i think have a pretty good idea on really what we want to go after and, and the type of work that we want to do and the clients that we want to work with and i know because we've talked about it, that we get distracted by other things that we also really want to go and do. Mm -hmm. And the, I think the harder thing for us to do is to say no to mm. those other ideas so that we can focus on what we're doing. And yeah. this has plagued me for the 10 years that I've been, been working, you know, for myself is I call it shiny object syndrome. <laughs> and I know every entrepreneur <laughs> suffers from shiny object syndrome. I feel your pain, Shadow, and I feel your pain. Yeah. And hearing that Johnny Ive and Steve Jobs had the same discussion about that same struggle is um it you know, it makes me feel warm and fuzzy inside that it's it's not just me, it's not just you that are struggling with this, right? I but I loved the 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 focus he put on. No, focus is when you kill something that you're dying to do. Because mm -hmm. you know it's you know, it's taking you off target, it's taking you away from other priorities. That is such a powerful thing. Like none of these sacrificial lamps, like tell me about something that you you absolutely walked away from and yet you were dying to do it. Mm. And again, you, you see that in the products that Apple releases. You can tell that they said no to, to a lot of things. Mm. But I'm a little curious to you, Mike, just about this idea of maybe thinking that we're focusing on the work and the, and the product, but when in actuality, maybe it's something personal or, or political or bureaucratic mm -hmm. instead. What, um, what have you seen um, in the work that you've done that kind of uh, reinforces that learning from Steve? Oh, um, the, the best practice I can speak to is ensuring that people understand that it's a conversation about the work, uh, number one, and that means not the individual. And number two, we all own the work, okay? Hmm. Um, and those are things that are deeply I'm, – I'm just working on those every day. In fact, this morning I was uh, with a large group at a client and there's lots of uh, prototyping and ideas were flowing this morning and uh, on a very complex uh, uh, product in the financial services uh, vertical. And at the heart of that was trying – 
to create a place where all the experts could provide suggestions and ideas uh, without all of the details and interdependencies being ripped apart and people feeling, uh, you, as a result of that, you don't want people to feel like their contribution is not welcome or appreciated. Um, mm. And what I would say in smaller teams, say in startups and so forth, another thing you see is um, good teams can have open, frank conversation about the work and not be too attached, not have too much dogma or bias. Teams that suffer, like a terrible symptom is all the passive, aggressive uh, behavior where the real problems are, forget being addressed, the real problems are not even spoken. So when, mm. when, when you are building a company or a product, you've got to find a way just to have an open and frank conversation. And for some, for some and, and for most, I would actually add that, uh, particularly like making people aware that they're too emotionally connected and, and they can't see uh, the path anymore because of that, that can be a very tough discussion. Mm. Yeah, and I think when, and it sounds like this was a personal conversation that Johnny and Steve had, but Steve saying to Johnny, hey, it, you've made it personal. It's about your personality and, and how you're perceived. That feedback kind of aside and in private, I think is important. But yeah, giving and receiving feedback is so difficult oh sometimes gosh. because it's so, it can be so emotional. And mm. so I, I think you're right in that keeping the focus on the work and having that shared responsibility is really important to know as the team going into that feedback process. Yeah. Um, and I think it's also important both as a team to, to set that expectation at the beginning mm. in that meeting and kind of close it at the end to kind of have a, a feedback process on the feedback process. So if you feel like you struggled to make headway and you were spinning in circles in that meeting, say that mm. at the end so that at the beginning of the next feedback cycle, you can try something different or, um, you know, just try and make that feedback process better going forward. And then if if you are truly being vain, like Johnny was, maybe you can tell someone, hey, I think you were putting too much weight, you know, yes. on you on your voice and your feedback. You know, I would love to hear more from other people next time. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And what you're really pointing us to is that for all of this great design thinking that we're hearing about from Johnny, this you know, ideas of simplicity and process and, you know, the things that keep him up at night. What, what Steve is highlighting to us is all of that functional stuff runs in parallel with emotions, feelings, you know, it's the people thing. And uh, I'm very, very happy we've got this final clip, which is really frames that you need that, that functional uh, maturity and expertise on design, but more than anything is you need to understand that design is something that's done by people. And Johnny has a lot to share with us. There's lots for us to learn. So let's have a listen to our final clip from Johnny Ive on why people are so important. You know, what really makes you feel incredibly excited when you get out of bed in the mornings? Uh, people. I, I, no, it's, um, so it's, it's not the iPhone Mark 22 or something? No, we make tools for people and um, that, that, um, that's why we exist, that's what drives us. Um, we, um, and and, and I, it, it really is that sense of trying to make something to the very best of our ability um, that will enable and empower um, my friends, our, 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 you know, the people that use our products. Um, but that, that's what drives us. Um, and, and I think that it would be concerning if, if it was uh, a, just a fascination with the technology. I mean, I think part of the job of a designer in many ways, I think you can provide a focus for and, and some goals for technology. 
But um, you can have the most incredibly powerful technology that can be completely irrelevant unless it can connect to, to us in a meaningful and useful way. Right. Mm. Focusing the role of a designer is focusing the technology to connect it to a person and make it useful for them. I, I think that's a pretty good summation of the Apple design philosophy, don't you? <laughs> yeah, I think you got it in one. It's it's just, and and you you can tell by his response, um, like he has the right order. You know, he knows that yeah, there's some cool tech going on, but in the end, it must be serving their users, their customers, and connecting them, delighting them, and not getting in their way. And it's such a timely reminder for the entrepreneurs and the innovators who are listening to this. You know, in the end, the success of your business will be in addressing the pains that your customers have and the gains that they're looking for. Mm. And you can pull on any whiz-bang technology you like to get the job done, but it must be in order to serve those needs. Mm. Yeah, it's a really a really great reminder to keep everything you know human centered and focused on the customers. Um, I know we we keep harping on this practically in every single episode, Mike. But I think <laughs> our experiences have shown, and we're hearing from all of these innovators that that really is one big part of their success is yeah being inquisitive and listening. To their to their customers yeah. and to people and and to their own employees as well. Yeah, they they have different ways of saying the, the the same idea of you know focusing on customers or users. They might use words like design thinking. They might use words like customer obsessed or customer breakthrough. Or it doesn't matter. the The idea here, which along probably along with uh, a behavior of learning. Uh, which seems to tie all of the innovators together. The other one is that they are just curious. They are obsessed about serving customers, digging into stuff that they need. And it's, it's, a, it's a sort of humble reminder that it doesn't start with technology or tools. It doesn't start with marketplaces. It doesn't start with anything else other than the customer. Mm. The other thing that I loved hearing from Johnny was the importance of creating an environment that helps spark ideas and nurture those ideas. Mm. And he was given the license for 25 years and still to this day to do that. You know, he, I don't know how much Apple spends on research and development and design, but it's got to be in the billions of dollars. Um, That's right. And it, and it shows. Yes, yeah, and listen. Just just in the last week, they they just uh, made available their HomePod speaker, which looks beautiful, and everybody says sounds amazing. And it might not be the biggest product they've ever launched, but they continually bring to the fore products that uh, that they said about the the HomePod. It's been six years in de- development. That's how long they had to nurture that. Hmm. idea into a product and one thing for sure is we know it's not easy right it's hard work johnny ive still worries and keeps things keep him up at night but he's given us a complete playbook on things that we can do literally you can pause the the show now and go and start doing these and you you will be increasing your likelihood of a product that will absolutely delight its customers Mm. And this uh, this segue into the world of design uh, was really interesting and and fun for me, Mike. Hearing Joe and Dieter and Johnny, like you said, speak to the same truths in different ways has been really interesting. And then comparing, you know, what these designers have said to people like Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos is also really interesting because. They're talking about the same thing, but from different perspectives or kind of different sides of the globe, so to speak. And um, I just wanted to tease what we were thinking about for our next episode is going back to episodes one and two, when we profiled Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and doing a little bit of an update show. Mm. Um, They've both been up to so many things in the last six months, haven't they, Mike? Oh, my my gosh. These guys are prolific, right? I mean, you just can't turn your back for a moment and you're like, we got to do another show. He's done so much. Yeah. I think um, 
the launch of Falcon Heavy just today and what Jeff Bezos has done uh, with the acquisition of Whole Foods and his you know, jump into uh, retail uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and storefronts has been really fascinating. So I think we're going we're gonna to kind of unpack what's happened in the last six months and and see, you know, what's going on in the world of Elon and Jeff. Absolutely. And I, I'm really fired up for that. And uh, I think there's a ton to learn there and, and a ton to unpack. And I want to remind everybody that you can go to moonshots.io and you can find all the show notes, all the information, all the inspiration uh, that you need to get on course for designing better products to go out there and to delight your your customers. So that's moonshots.io. Uh, I-O. And uh, a kind of a wrap on our design series, I feel all designed up. I, I'm, I'm going to have to buy like a Dita Rams coffee book or something when I get home. Yeah, I, well, I want the little brown uh, clock, the kind of square clock. Oh, uh, yeah. I can't remember what it's called, but I mean, I'm sure if you just Google Braun or Dita Rams, it's one of the first things that come <laughs> up. That's that's That was the thing that I was coveting after doing all the yeah. research on him. Yeah. And yeah. I wanted to remind all of our listeners to Mike and I love your feedback. Please email us at hello at moonshots.io. And, um, you know, we've done 20 episodes, but Mike and I don't want to congratulate ourselves too soon. We'd love to do this for another 200. Yeah. Um, and so any ideas and feedback that you have on people and industries, places we should go to find and uncover and unpack the wisdom from innovators. And we'd love all of your, all of your feedback. So you can just shoot us an email at hello at moonshots.io. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we hope that you leave this podcast with a little bit more energy, a little bit more swing in your step, a little bit of design mojo. Um, and we really want you to get ready for takeoff on the next show because we got Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos. We've got a whole new bunch of lessons and learnings from them. So we want to share all of those with you on the next episode of the Moonshots podcast. Chad, thank you. I hope you're inspired. I hope you're ready to go out there and carve the mountains of Colorado. Yes. And I'm excited to record 200 more episodes of Moonshots. There you go, guys. Couldn't have said it better myself. So thank you ever so much for joining us here on the Moonshots podcast. We'll see you on the next show. And that's a wrap.